0: Good morning, everybody. I am so thankful that you chose to come out to church this morning, especially if you're here in person, even if you're watching online, or maybe even listening to our podcast after the fact. I'm really glad that you're here. We've been doing this exciting series that we've titled Elevate, Christ Above All Things. and We've been going slowly but surely and verse by verse through the book of Colossians as we've talked about what the Apostle Paul would say which is that in our lives, there's a whole lot going on. But it's Christ, it's Jesus, who is above and beyond everything. He's the purpose for our life. He's the reason for our life. He's the creator of everything. He sustains everything. He gives us salvation, and he is a good God. Amen? Yeah, and so this morning, we're going to be looking at a topic that is actually a little bit difficult to address. And the reason is because it seems like we are either really super qualified to talk about it, or it seems like nobody could care what you have to say about it uh, because maybe you haven't been around the block enough. And that is this idea of suffering. You know, we are all in different places and points in time in our life, and we're all going through different things in our lives. Some of you right now, when this word comes up, you think to yourself, you have no idea what I'm going through, or what my spouse is going through, or what my family is dealing with. If you had any idea, man, it would just knock you on your backside. And others of you are actually thinking to yourself, well, life is it's pretty good right now. I'm actually kind of doing okay, and, and it seems like things aren't so bad, so I don't know, is this something I even need to hear about? And so this is what I would like to do, to kind of broaden this idea that the Apostle Paul is going to talk about regarding suffering. I want to give you a a quick definition so that we can be on the same page as we move forward. So it's looking up exactly what is suffering, and this is what the dictionary has to say. The state or experience of one that suffers. Isn't that crystal clear? We know exactly what suffering means now. Uh, I was actually told in high school you never use a word in the definition of a word, and the dictionary doesn't care what high school teachers have to say. So... You just go one step further and you say, okay, what does suffer mean? And this is what it says. To submit to or be forced to endure, to feel keenly, to labor under, to undergo or experience, to put up with, especially as inevitable or unavoidable. Now, Most of you in here have enough life experience to know that there are certain things that are inevitable and unavoidable. There are tough things in this life that we have to deal with. And there are times in which the suffering or the difficulty peaks, and there are times when it's a little bit better. But this is what I would like to submit to you that in your life, all of us are dealing with one form of suffering or another to some degree of intensity. And what the Apostle Paul wants to say today is that when you go through either the ordinary difficult things of life that are a type of suffering, or whether you're really in the pits with the suffering that you have, that there is a purpose in your suffering, that God isn't wasting what you're going through, and he's not throwing it at you, and you're not being attacked for no reason. There is purpose in your suffering. And I want to make especially sure to let those of you um, who may be in a different type of suffering know that I'm talking to you as well, and that is if you're dealing with suffering because of your own decisions that you've done something that you feel like, yeah, other people, maybe their spouse dies or their children die or they're really sick, but really it's my fault that I'm going through what I'm going through. And so does any of this even apply to me? A type of guilt and a burden and a shame that comes on you. I want you to know what the apostle Paul is talking about is going to be for you as well. And we're looking at Colossians 1:24 through 2, 5 today as we continue to navigate through this. And I wanna tell you a quick story about a difficult time that I was going through several years ago. This was sort of in the middle of COVID. I began to have some pretty significant health issues that scared me deeply. Stuff that was going on that had, that had never happened to me before, completely out of the blue and unexpected. The sort of thing where you just, you can't really prepare yourself for it because it's just kind of outrageous that it would come your direction. And I don't know what necessarily inspired me to do it, but I picked up the phone one day while I was here at the church and I called a really good friend of mine. And I just started to share my heart with him. And I said, listen, this is what I'm feeling. And you know how sometimes when you break the dam open, how a little bit comes out and then all of a sudden everything just starts pouring out. And before I know it, I'm basically like sitting in the back of the worship center here like in a heap of tears, just saying I'm scared of this and what about this and what about this? And I was absolutely overwhelmed. And he said something to me that I wouldn't have expected, but the statement alone brought me a great deal of comfort. And with total sincerity and honesty, and absolutely meaning it, though he was hours and hours away, this is what he said, do you need me to come and be with you right now? And it caused me to take a second and to think, I don't know if I need that right now. And as I kind of processed a little bit more, I said, you know, I don't don't think I need you to go that far out of your way to help me. But it instantly communicated to me that there was love and care, that if I needed that at that moment, nothing would have stopped him from doing that. And then he began to ask me really tough questions about what I was going through. He started to challenge me. He started to challenge what I believed, why some of the things that were in my mind were there about being a dad and a husband and a pastor and a friend and a human being and a young adult going through stuff and he started challenging me spiritually and he really represented what the apostle paul said in the book of romans where he said rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn or suffer with those who suffer he was there for me and i'll come back to that and i tell you that story for a reason but the apostle paul when he wrote the book of colossians was actually in a position of pretty serious suffering himself the apostle Paul was in prison in Rome. Now, first, when Paul got to Rome at the end of the book of Acts, what we see is that he's, uh, he's actually like under a type of house arrest. And so people could come and could talk to him, and eventually he would be seriously in prison, and eventually he would be killed for his faith. But while he was struggling, he's under house arrest. He had worked his whole ministry to want to finally get to Rome to see the church up in Rome. And it took him two years from Jerusalem to get there while he was actually imprisoned himself. He's up in prison in Rome all the way up here. And his friend Epaphras, who's all the way on the northeast side of the Mediterranean, just north of Jerusalem, his friend Epaphras comes up to him and says, Paul, I want to tell you about a church I started in Colossae. And that was the church of the Colossians. He said, these people are on fire for God. They love the Lord. And the Apostle Paul's perspective was changed. And he started to realize, holy cow, like even though I'm here in prison, maybe there's something that I can do for them. And so he sends them this letter, which is all about how to persevere in their faith in the midst of suffering and difficulty, and how to see that Jesus is above all things, that he is loving and that he is good, that he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. And Paul, from prison, going through a period of suffering, writes to the Colossians, and that's where we pick up in chapter 1, verse 24, this really extraordinary text where he says, now... I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. And this is an amazing statement. In filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That may be one of the most extraordinary statements in the scripture, that the apostle Paul saw himself as having to fulfill something that Jesus didn't in his afflictions, in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection. And I think to myself, what in the world is the Apostle Paul talking about when he says his sufferings make up for what Christ's afflictions didn't accomplish? And because we have the rest of Scripture to help us interpret this, I'll put your heart at ease for just a moment in saying that this has nothing to do with salvation. Because what Jesus did was once for all, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Your sin is forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And it's done. The Apostle Paul said two verses earlier, He said this, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So you are made right with God if you have placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, no matter what you've done no matter how dark the things are that are in your past or in your present, that if you have put your faith in Jesus for salvation, it's gone, it's forgiven, you are made whole, you are made right. So what in the world did Paul mean that he's glad to suffer because he makes up what Jesus was missing? It has to mean that something else was missing. And here's what I submit to you, and I think that there's really solid evidence in the text and outside of the text to support it. That what the Apostle Paul was saying is that the Colossians, they didn't see Christ suffer. You see, the early church in Jerusalem, they were kind of first, they, they had like first-hand knowledge of what happened in Jerusalem. Especially the Apostles and especially Jesus' friends. They saw what took place. Um, the Apostle Peter, which was one of Jesus' closest friends, he said it this way. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So this is both a confidence that we have because the scriptures that we have in front of us, they didn't just come to us by secondhand knowledge and by hearing about things and someone just writing down what they thought. No, the apostles and those who wrote scripture, they were firsthand witnesses of what happened to Jesus. And so I believe that when the apostle Paul said, I'm glad to suffer because I make up for what Christ's afflictions were lacking, I believe what he was saying is something really beautiful, that Paul suffered as a representative of Jesus. He goes on to say why he's glad in his suffering. He said, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you and this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. The Apostle Paul said, what I'm doing to make up for Christ's afflictions is I'm suffering so that I have the authority to tell you what Jesus did. And you can see in my life, in the Apostle Paul's life, what you never had the opportunity to see in Jesus himself. And here's the thing, Paul very literally literally suffered. If you look at the list that he puts together, this is not what I put together, this is what the Apostle Paul directly says. He said he went through imprisonments, which he was in prison while he wrote it, floggings and beatings with rods and stoning, shipwrecks, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, hardships such as hunger and thirst, exposure to the elements and riots, and he had to work hard and he had sleepless nights and hunger and deprivation, all things that the Apostle Paul would go through. And he said, this stuff, all of this, this really happened to him. People like actually tried to murder him by stoning him and throwing him outside of the city. And he got up and he walked back in and said, listen, I love the Lord too much to stay outside the city and not share his gospel with you. He went through all of this suffering. He said, I'm glad to do it. John Piper explains it this way, and I think it's a beautiful summary. He says, Paul showed a personal, bodily, costly presentation of Christ's love. There is nothing defective in the afflictions of Christ. Paul becomes the embodiment of the love of Christ so that the afflictions of Christ have a personal presentation to the church. How beautiful is that? And I believe that many Christians still do this. That we have... Missions workers who are abused, belittled, tortured, and even killed as representatives of Jesus so that individuals can see what Jesus went through. That many of you who have gone through horrible times and have walked out the other side of it loving the Lord more, you stand as a representative of Jesus so that your sharing of the gospel can be with that much more power. My friend who reached out to me, who was willing to ask me hard questions, was able to do so because he had already been there. He knew what it was like. He had already walked through that fire, and he knew the questions to ask because he, in that moment, was a representative of Jesus. And in that time, he was, in a sense, glad to have suffered through what he had went through because now he was able to make up what was lacking in Christ's affliction, if you will, which was us seeing it directly. And so what made Paul glad to suffer? I would say this, <clears throat> that Paul knew that there was purpose in his suffering. I think that when Paul was going through the mistreatment, the sufferings, the difficulties, he probably thought about what Jesus went through while he was standing trial, while he was being abused. The book of Mark says this, but Jesus, while he's on trial, he remained silent and he gave no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? A few verses later, he said, I am, said Jesus. So they condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him away and beat him. And we know that this led to his crucifixion, to him suffering the worst type of death that could be suffered, at least in the ancient Roman world. And the Apostle Paul said, I'm glad to do it because I'm a stand in so that you can see what Jesus had to go through, in a sense. And so then I asked this question, what about when we suffer? I said at the beginning that we're all in different places. You might be dealing with the worst of the worst, where the walls are closing in and darkness is surrounding you. You may be doing okay, but it's just the simple financial struggles that got you all messed up and got your stomach in knots, and you're, just, you're having difficulty and struggle. Or you may be dealing with the consequences of your own decisions, but you're still very genuinely suffering, or maybe the decisions of somebody that's very close to you. And I would say because of our sinfulness, I don't know if there's exactly a way around the instinct that we often think of ourselves first when we're going through a difficulty. And there's all these different areas of our life, our money and job, our free time, relationships and the stuff and kids, emotions and hobbies and work and house, our reputation, food, all these different things, we tend to think when we go through a difficult time, well, how does this affect me? How does this affect my work? How does this apply to me? How does this election impact me? How does what my boss said impact me? How does my kids Um, sickness impact me? How does whatever, all these circumstances that surround us, how does that impact me? And we can get consumed. And when we start looking in on our suffering, what ends up happening is we end up hurting the people that are around us because we get so consumed with how everything affects us that we kind of put toxicity out there to other people. And an individual who's very much so, in a sense, like the Apostle Paul, and who dealt with the ramifications of this from really the beginning of his life all the way through the end of his life, I want to share just a little bit of his story with you. And this is a guy that lived many years ago, and his name was John Newton. See, John Newton, he grew up in a Christian home. It's why his story is really cool. When he was a young kid, his mom took him to church. In a time in which there was mostly like Catholicism, he went to a church that really teached relationship with Jesus. and His mom instilled that in him. But then his mom died when he was young, very young. And so he went on a trade ship with his dad. And for the next 20 years or so, he would see constantly, year after year, the life of really a sinful sailor. I mean, it sounds like a stereotype, but it was really bad, the stuff that he went through, the stuff that he started to do, the way his life became consumed with greed, and all of the difficulty of his mom's death and of the things that happened to him while he was with his dad. All this stuff started to consume him, and he went to such a dark place that he began buying and selling human beings in the African slave trade in the 1700s. And as he was in the midst of that process, one night a storm, Came up that was so fierce that it literally ripped people off of the boat that he was on, and was puncturing holes into the side of the boat. And he went up as a last-ditch effort to grab the wheel of the ship and to try to stop it from being completely controlled. While the rest of the crew was using bed sheets and clothes to try to patch holes underneath the ship. And in a moment, in his dark, literally in his darkest time, he cried out to God: "God, have mercy upon me." His life came to a point of absolute realization that all of the hurt and the pain and the suffering that he had caused and that was going on within him, he couldn't do it anymore, and he cried out to God to give him mercy. And that is what happened. Eventually, the storm died down. John Newton didn't die. And he had a perspective change. And his life moved forward from there forever different, and he would eventually leave the slave trade. He, 30 years later or so, wrote a beautiful little text called Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade, and he wrote this while he was avidly and actively and passionately fighting against the slave trade because he knew of all of the hurt that he had put people through, the suffering he put people through, and the continual trauma that even knowing that he had done those things, what that had put him through. And he was serving actually in ministry in that time with some of the founding fathers of so many of our Christian traditions in the 17 and super early 1800s. And I want to read this little excerpt to you that is so powerful because it shows the heart of a man whose mind was truly changed. This is what he said in one of his excerpts from Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade, which was used as a text that nearly put a definitive end by the time legislation came around that stopped the African slave trade. This is what he said. I hope it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in the business at which my heart now shudders. He says in this, I hope it always remains within me a knowledge of what I did because that is what drives me forward. The Apostle Paul gives a similar sentiment when he writes to a young pastor named Timothy. He says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. and He says, Of whom I am the worst. See, Paul was not only witness to, but participated in the killing and imprisonment and torture of Christians. And he says, I did all of this. I'm the worst of the sinners, similarly to how John Newton said, I hope I never forget what I did. But John Newton and the Apostle Paul and countless Christians since then, they've obtained a new perspective. And it's what went on to allow John Newton to write these words. He said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And his motivation, his hope, was that when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You see, what John knew was that there was purpose in all the things that he had gone through in his life. And Paul knew the same thing. It's why he said, I'm glad when I suffer. And so I challenge you, what if you obtained a new perspective? Now that's a really easy thing to say. It's a bit harder to implement. But what if when health crisis came around or deep fear that just kind of cuts to your bone, what if in those moments you were able to think about these different areas of your life with your money and job and free time and all of these different things? What if you were able to see them in a new light? where it's like you can say, okay, so my company laid me off and now I'm freaking out because I have no idea what the finances are going to look like. I have no idea how I'm going to make it. What if the people around you, your children, your spouse, us as a church, what if they were able to look and say, wow, there's something different about how he's dealing with this? There are those of you who are truly completely inspiring Because of the difficulty you've gone through and you've stayed faithful in these areas of your life, you've looked at them as an opportunity to show other people the truth of the gospel of Jesus, that there is hope and that there is a future in these different areas. What if our perspective changed? See, the Apostle Paul said this as he continues on, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Hear this, the riches and glory of Christ are for you. That's why Paul was glad to suffer, so that you would know that Christ lives in you, and this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. See, all of those promises that are true to you have come down from a tradition of people going through things in their lives that completely sideswiped them and caused them difficulty, but it gave them the privilege of sharing the hope that's in Jesus. And in your suffering, as a follower of Jesus, you have the chance to be used as part of that for the next generation, to your children, to your families, to your friends, to the rest of us as a church. And I think as I geeked out a little bit with processing someone who said a phrase I think can be helpful is Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, who requoted what philosopher Voltaire said, but he says this, with great power comes great responsibility. And if the Apostle Paul said this, I think what he would say is, with great salvation comes great responsibility. And while we're changing things, we're gonna put a picture of what definitely the Apostle Paul looked like up there too. <laughs> With great power, with great salvation, comes great responsibility. And there's actually a scene where Peter Parker's Uncle Ben says something unique to him as he's first struggling with some of his difficulty. He said, these are the years when a man changes into the man he'll be for the rest of his life. Just be careful who you change into. I think if Paul were writing this, he might say, times of suffering are when a person changes into who they'll be for the rest of their lives. Just be careful who you change into. Life will happen. Difficulty is coming your way. You are going to go through times of darkness. If you're not now, you will in the future. And it is those times that God says, I have a purpose in this to make you who I need you to be so that you know that your very life has a purpose. Paul says this in the beginning of chapter 2. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea, which was just a little north of Colossae. And for many other believers who have never met me personally, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie, all the, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. All those promises are to you and when you go through times of suffering, they're sharpened and they're heightened and the truth of them comes upon you. And so I encourage you that there is purpose in your suffering. But it is important to maybe say it in a way that is most helpful, that lines up with what the Apostle Paul said. And so for those of you that are followers of Jesus, who have embraced him as Savior and been forgiven of sin, this is how I would define this for you. Through your suffering, you are representing Jesus. You become part of a tradition of God moving powerfully through the church, to save this world. And if we can realign our perspective, if we can see what we're going through through a different lens, what will happen is it will build within us all of those promises that the Apostle Paul says there in this section of the Colossians, that Christ is above all things, that he is in everything and working through everything and your salvation and your eternity is secure and there is a good God who is chasing after you, that you have hope and that you have a future, that God is with you and that there's purpose in your suffering for your family and for your children and for your work and for the church and for your community. There's a purpose that is God designed to help. But I think to realign our perspective is difficult because, again, we're sinful. And quite frankly, we don't really want to go through the suffering. I would not choose to go through any difficulty. Quite frankly, I'm just hoping to kind of cruise to the grave in my early 100s. That's kind of the goal, right? But that's just not the reality. That's just not going to happen. And so let me give you some encouragement that you can work out even this afternoon, early this week, as you think about the different suffering you're going through first Be honest with God. God is not surprised to find out what you're going through, but he wants you to share your heart with him. This is what my friend did when he said to me, Isaac, do you think that you know better than God for your marriage or for your kids or for your life or for your church or for whatever? Do you think you know better how to bring about goodness in those areas? I said, well, I don't, I don't, I'm acting like I think I know better, but I don't think necessarily that. But he said, you need to talk to God and just be transparent and honest with him about those areas. And then I would say, once you're honest with God, maybe even talk it out with somebody to help you confess that to God. Ask God to help you trust him. It's okay to tell God, I don't even know how to trust that what you're saying in all of this is true that you have hope in a future and a purpose for me in this. Because quite frankly, it can be so dark that it just doesn't feel like there is a way that God could use this for a good purpose. But I think of the individual that came up to Jesus who Jesus said, you know, um, I can heal. And he said to Jesus, I have faith that you can do that, but would you help my unbelief? Would you build within me even the ability to trust what you say? It's okay to ask God for that. And it's also okay to ask God to comfort you. If your suffering is in all likelihood unable to be reversed, to go back on, if you know that you're going to be sitting in this for quite a while, it's okay to say, God, I don't even have a way to actually deal with this. So would you flood my heart with comfort? And that may be through the church being here today. It may be through a small group that you're involved with or a Christian friend or some other way that God fills your heart with comfort because there is goodness and there is comfort that comes from our Savior. And then lastly, choose to embrace God's truth, not man's truth. See, man's truth says this. Your suffering is pointless you're responsible for figuring out how to get out of it. That if it's a financial crisis, it's your job to resolve every piece of it. If your kid is sick, it's your job to figure every single thing out. It's your job to work out all the tiny little details that will somehow resolve the suffering, or it's your job to Google until your thumbs actually fall off, until you understand every single little factor as you try to artificially comfort yourself by filling your head with knowledge. Man's truth says numb the pain with whatever you need to take or drink or, or, or whatever to get yourself there. Man's truth says it's okay to live and to be um, in an inappropriate relationship with anybody you want to because the hurt that you're feeling from whatever happened to you needs to be numbed and that's a way that you can move forward. That's man's truth. But God's truth is that there is a purpose that is so deep within every single bit of suffering we have that it floods you with truth and hope and comfort because when we glimpse the plan and the purpose of God in whatever it might be, that itself begins to change our hearts, but we have to embrace God's truth. These are all really difficult things to wrestle through and we have a lot of work to get there. But what I can promise you is that there is purpose in your suffering. And so I want to give you a moment. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to pray. I would like to give you a moment while we work through that, while they get up here, to just think to yourself, God, what areas of my heart and in my suffering have I not really given totally over to you. You might be at the very beginning stages of, of trying to even process your grief or your pain or whatever it might be. You might be at the very beginning of that. You may be halfway through it. You may be working out the end. But as I pray, I want us to just take a few moments to just close your eyes, bow your heads. Don't be a distraction to the people around you. Give yourself the opportunity to just sit in the presence of God who is with us right now as we think about our suffering and how there may be um, and is a purpose and a plan in it. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write what he did. You instructed him to say that there's purpose in your suffering. You instructed him to somehow take joy in his suffering. To see his suffering as something to be glad in. So that the Colossians and the Gentiles in that area and so we all the way today could see that Paul is a representative of you and that we get to represent you to our families and to our friends and to our work and our community and to each other so that we can be part of the legacy of your church that from generation to generation deals with suffering in a way that lets the world know you are so good and you love us so much. So even now as we sing, Lord, would you fill our hearts with this truth that there is purpose in whatever suffering we may be going through. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us as we continue to process this out?